The following is a Bunkazilla original production. We are monsters of culture. Hello there, welcome to Bunker Mania, Bunkerzilla UK's official pro wrestling podcast. I am Jeremy Graves, flying solo once again to bring you a show that's very much going to be AEW focused this time around. Main reason being that I am recording this on the afternoon of Thursday the 11th of August, and I have actually just in the last few minutes got done watching the episode of AEW Dynamite that aired last night, Wednesday the 10th of August for point of reference, and I just really want to talk about what's going on in AEW because... This was another great episode of Dynamite, and I'll get to exactly some happenings that have gone down in just a moment, but it has really just made me want to talk about this and almost just get a bit of a stream of consciousness out in some kind of recorded form. And the the, the Decadane, Mr. Ian Bolton and I, will be back probably towards the end of the month, as it were, maybe beginning of September, when it comes to trying to do a show together. But I just really wanted to record something now following our previous episode of the podcast, which you can find now on the likes of Apple, Google, Stitcher, and whatnot, where I was mainly talking about WWE SummerSlam and my thoughts regarding that. So, yes... I hope you enjoy this edition of the show. As just mentioned, going to be focusing mainly on AEW. If you would like to subscribe to our podcast, Bunker Mania, you can do so on the audio platform of choices that I have just mentioned. Once we are back rolling good and proper, probably in the month of September, we will be doing our fortnightly live streams on YouTube. So if you search for Bunkerzilla UK on YouTube, you can hit the subscribe button so that you can get notified as to when new video episodes will be broadcasting live. And of course, if you subscribe on the audio platform of your choice, like this bonus episode, you will then be able to download immediately the episodes that become available and the audio archive of said live video programs. Another random point of reference before I go any further, I mentioned I'm recording this on the afternoon afternoon of Thursday, the 11th of August, excuse me. Uh, I also want to make a point. It is currently 32 degrees centigrade at the time I am recording this. It is flipping hot. So... I've got fans on. Hopefully you won't be able to hear them too much, but if you can hear weird humming sounds in the background and stuff, or as was the case in the last episode of the podcast, you can hear airplanes flying right over my house or seagulls being really loudly. That is why, because I need oxygen, people. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that is how it rolls. But right, let's let's just get straight onto it. The main event of Dynamite last night, it was Chris Jericho and John Moxley for the AEW Interim World Championship. The build-up to this match was Moxley basically just going, I don't give a damn about the sports entertainment stuff. I want the Lionheart Chris Jericho. I want the guy who was the last survivor of the Hart family dungeon and all the build-up around that. Chris Jericho said he would get Lionheart, and man, did we get Lionheart Chris Jericho. He came out to, I think it was a song by White Zombie, if I remember correctly. He came out to that. He was wearing ring gear that was reminiscent of his old Lionheart days. He was busting out some moves that we've not seen him do in a long time. And this match was so damn good. I encourage you to go out of your way to watch this match from start to finish. If you're watching on the International Fight TV feed like I was, it actually in a way paints a bit of a different picture, I think, compared to what the US broadcast would have had. Main reason being that there is a point during the match when Chris Jericho puts on the walls of Jericho And literally, the moment he puts it on, they cut to an ad break. 
You literally hear them say we're going picture in picture. And the entire picture in picture break is John Moxley trying to fight and claw his way towards the ropes, the crowd just rallying him on. It, it, it was a wonderful, just brilliantly emotive thing to see. And it's really going out of your worth going out of your way, excuse me, to try and find the international version of the of this match because it really adds a lot more dynamic to it. The match was so damn good. John Moxley, once again, blood in a match. This time because Chris Jericho literally <laughs> literally just pulled John Moxley's earring out from, from, from his ear. He just yanked it out. And so that's what that's the reason that John Moxley ultimately started bleeding, which I did find quite amusing, I've got to say. But it actually told quite another interesting, compelling story because now I am not the most active person in the world. I do a lot of DDP yoga. I'm not trying to get a sponsor or anything. I'm just saying like it is. I do a lot of yoga. I go on a lot of hikes and treks and do some jogging and stuff. But if there's one thing I remember from school that I was always taught when it came to doing a PE class or being in a gym or something like that. Do not wear jewellery when you are doing something athletic. Just don't. And occasionally you see athletes wearing stuff. This is the prime example of why you shouldn't do that, because you do not want to get your earring yanked out of your head by Chris Jericho. But that being said, so that is how Moxley just starts bleeding. It adds so much more to the match. Jericho eventually gets busted open as well because of his broken nose from recent weeks and such. The story of this match was just so damn good. And there were little callbacks as well to things from their previous match at the AEW Revolution pay-per-view in February of 2020. They alluded to them as well, the fact that Moxley had been blinded in one eye and such like that. And sort of little, little things that were kind of playing up how they've scouted each other really well. And Regal on commentary as well. His role was very different to what you might normally hear from him, purely because... There were points when he just wasn't saying anything. And the announcers were almost politely calling him out on that. And eventually he just said, I'm really worried. Just genuinely worried because Chris Jericho is just like a master tactician and whatnot. So it, this worked tremendously well. And the match was so damn good. Ultimately, the way it played out was Sammy Guevara started appearing from the crowd and Jericho motioned to him to throw something to him, which was Floyd, the baseball bat. Now... <laughs> You can't write this stuff sometimes. But Sammy actually overshot his throw of the baseball bat to the point where it went over Jericho and bounced out the ring. So that was a little bit awkward. But in some ways, you could argue that maybe added a bit more drama to the match because Jericho still connected with it. Moxley kicked out. Moxley also kicked out of a Judas effect, which they actually put down to the fact that because Jericho's nose may have been rebroken, couldn't maybe concentrate fully and get the pinpoint accuracy. So much great stuff happening. And ultimately, the, 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 the sort of the bulldog choke or the submission that, that Moxley's been using in tandem with the Paradigm Shift and or Death Rider in recent weeks, ultimately, Jericho had to submit. So Moxley got the victory. But after the match, surprisingly, that's where things got more interesting because this match was so damn good. And I just thought, you know what? If Dynamite goes off the air right now, I'm totally fine with this. I loved this match. It was so damn good. Then we get members of the Jericho Appreciation Society coming out, starting to beat down Moxley. Then we get members of the Blackpool Combat Club coming out to beat down and kind of even up the odds, including Ortiz and Eddie Kingston, it should be said. Then we got more members of the Jericho Appreciation Society coming out just to kind of make it even weirder. Sorry, weirder is the wrong word. To make it even worse for the BCC. And then it got to a point where Jericho is holding the title belt 
And I think it was Matt Menard is holding up Moxley. Just get, He's ready to take a belt shot to the face, is Moxley. There's kind of this long pause. You're waiting for it. And suddenly, you just hear the... And freaking CM Punk's music starts. I get genuine so many goosebumps when the crowd suddenly have that moment like I did of, wait, what? And then you realize, holy crap, it's CM Punk. And he's coming out and he's he's getting people out of the ring. He's fighting people. He's really amping up the fact that he can stand on his foot. He's hopping on it and stuff. And of course, the show goes off the air with the two champions, that being CM Punk, the world champion, and then the interim champion, who is the one that's holding the belt, it should be said, the interim champion, just eventually coming face to face in the ring. Moxley just flipping him off, shoulder barging him out the way and leaving. So this probably means now that with All Out being the big pay-per-view at the end of August, beginning of September, we now have our main event for All Out. JR on commentary did say, I'm not sure if he's actually medically cleared yet. So maybe still kind of keeping a little element of doubt in, excuse me, of that motion. But either way, for all intent and purpose, we now know the direction we are heading in when it comes to what the main event of All Out is going to be. And in a weird sort of way, this is a very weird thing to say now. Much as I'm really happy Punk is back and I was super excited to see him and the thought that the world champion is back, there is also a part of me that's thinking, I freaking love John Moxley as champion. We finally got to see him in front of a crowd having this title, just, just getting the crowd hyped, having great match after great match. He's had so many title defenses since he won this belt. He's, he's been a really good fighting champion. And there's part of me that, in a way, doesn't want it to end. And for all we know, Moxley could beat Punk and there could be another chase to the title for Punk. But one would probably assume Punk is going to win that unification match. But just the thought of it, and then there was a moment on the outside as well as Moxley was walking up the ramp with his Blackpool Combat Club buddies where him and Claudio did like a big embrace. And I suddenly thought, oh my God, we could get we could get Punk and Claudio. Like the match types that are going around in my head as to all the possibilities we're going to get. I'm really excited to see what the next direction of this is. But like I say, go out of your way to watch this entire like last, I think it was a good 40-ish minutes or so of television. Now, I, I'll come back to the reason why I'm not entirely sure because the timings were a bit weird on Fight TV. I'll elaborate on that in a moment. But basically, from the from the moment that Jericho and Mox, they're coming out just to the end of the show, go out of your way to see it. It's so damn good and well worth your time. But this episode of Dynamite was notable for other reasons, because now really a lot of other direction has started to take shape on where things are going. And this excites me greatly. Obviously, CM Punk returning being a big one now. We now know, like I've just been mentioning, the championship picture. We know where that's going to head to. But there is still more Blackpool Combat Club, Jericho Appreciation Society things happening. Now, Daniel Garcia defeated Brian Danielson recently. It was an amazing match once again. And since then, he's been calling himself the Dragon Slayer because, of course, he defeated the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. So what this has been kind of leading to, one would assume is going to be another match between the two. And there was a, an announcement or a tease that was going around online yesterday afternoon, so prior to Dynamite, 
with something to the effects of that AEW is going to be partnering with a really, or is going to be sort of presented in collaboration with, whichever the exact phrase was, a really well-known Warner Discovery brand. And there were people like thinking of all sorts of things. Like you may think, oh, could be DC stuff. Because, you know, a lot of people like comics. That would make sense. There's loads and loads of properties it could have been. And it turns out next week's episode of AEW Dynamite is being presented by the new HBO show, Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon. And with that in mind, the main event of that show is going to be Brian Danielson versus Daniel Garcia, the dragon versus the dragon slayer in a best two out of three falls match. I am so excited for this. It is going to be such a good match. And in fact, now just context here, I've not seen what the spoilers for Rampage are because I really like to try and watch the show without knowing anything. But Danielson is scheduled to be on the show and is going to be addressing most likely Daniel Garcia. So there should be some really fun stuff regarding that. But this is an excellent tie-in. Now, full disclosure, I've seen a few seasons of Game of Thrones. I think I've seen maybe, is it three or four? I don't remember. But I've seen at least three seasons of it, maybe four. And I haven't seen the rest of it. So I, I can't speak to how good ultimately it is or isn't. I've obviously heard reactions online of what it's like. But this is a really cool tie-in. This is really, really cool. And from the Warner Discovery element of it, while the, D- while the whole DC film universe thing, we can put that to, to one side. That's a different podcast entirely if we ever want to talk about that. But this is a really cool collaboration. And if this is the kind of stuff that AEW can get involved with, like we've already had the Shark Week stuff, which was good fun in and of itself. And we already have like themed episodes of Dynamite. Last night was Quake by the Lake. There were good little things like that. This is a really fun and unique tie-in, and I'm interested to see how how this may be amped up on Dynamite, if at all, next week. Because it's a really fun dynamic. And plus, the actual <laughs> the actual graphic that's going around online promoting this match is just good fun. It's those two just looking into the camera, loads of fire behind them, kind of in gold and whatnot, and then the big House of the Dragon logo behind them. It's a pretty wild collaboration, but it works really, really well. Speaking of Jericho Appreciation Society shenanigans, Interesting dynamic here that's been added. Now, for those of you that don't know, this is kind of going a little bit inside baseball in some ways, but obviously FTR are the AAA tag team champions. Now, they are not the only AEW talent to hold AAA gold because the eight, the, the, I need to call it the AEW, the AAA mixed tag team titles are held by Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti, which I should also note is is now seemingly being referred to as Ty Mello, which I'm assuming is after getting married. I'm not sure. I'm just going to go with that. I'm going on the graphic that I'm seeing here. They are going to be defending those AAA World Mixed Tag Team Championships against Dante Martin and Sky Blue, following on from the match that they had recently, whereby Sammy Guevara actually beat Dante Martin. It was quite a spectacle of a match, to say the least, but Sky Blue was in Dante's corner. So that's another interesting dynamic now that we're going to get the mixed tag team titles. I'm not familiar with the rules of the mixed tag team championship matches in AAA, so I don't know if there is a possibility, for example, we could get some action between Ty and Dante facing off against each other. I don't know if that is an actual possibility or if it's essentially 
men versus men, women versus women. I don't know. But it is still a very unique dynamic that needs to be considered. And also, just cool to see some more AAA belts being defended on the show, quite frankly, because I think they've held the title since... It was around the time of one of the, tri the Triple Manias earlier this year. I seem to recall Sammy and Ty documenting it on their vlog. It's never actually been acknowledged on Bloomin' AEW programming. So, so that's going to be fun to see. And that is on Rampage this coming Friday, again, at the time of recording. Another big piece of news from Dynamite this week. Relate well, it's it's basically about the World Trios Championship tournament that was announced a few weeks ago, and we've now kind of got our first glimpse of how this tournament is going to shake out. Now, before we go any further, following I think it was Dynamite last week at this point, I'm trying to recount my thoughts here. The undisputed elite is no more. Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly turned on the Young Bucks after they returned on Dynamite. And it was quite a shocking moment. It really hit me good that from like an emotional point of view, I thought it worked out really well. Hangman Page came out to save the Bucks. And there was a big follow-up on that this week. There was a backstage segment where the Young Bucks had Brandon holding the camera and he literally said, but the, the Bucks, excuse me, literally went into the Dark Order locker room, obviously a little bit, you know, feist, feisty, testy, whatever the right word is. But it was kind of, look, not trying to cause trouble. We just want to document this in front of the world. And they basically apologized to Hangman Page for all the stuff that's happened. The fact as well, they brought up that when, they, that when he won the title, they couldn't even go and congratulate him. It was just something about it. And they just apologized for it. And with that in mind, they talked about how they thought about the good times. They've been reminiscing, thinking back. And with the Dark Order standing right next to Hangman Page, they literally say, would you be our partner for the Trios Championship Tournament? And Hangman Page gave a really, really good response to this, which you cannot hate him for in, the, in, the, in any way, shape, or form. There's an airplane flying overhead for point of reference in case you can hear background noise. What Hangman Page effectively said was, Guys, look, we had great fun, but the past few years, these guys, pointing to the Dark Order, have had my back. They've been my best friends, and I want to have their back in the Trios tournament. He literally then said, I'm not in this Trios tournament, but I want to have their back after everything they've done for me. And so then he rejected the offer from the Young Bucks. It's a, it was a really, really cool thing, because... The obvious thing would have been Hangman Page says, Dark Order guys, I love you like brothers, but you know, let, let's give it our all. You know, you guys do your thing. I'm going to do my thing with, with these guys. And then Dark Order, probably at that point, would have every right just to go, the heck, man, we're always here for you. Can you be here for us for once? But no, because Hangman Page is an honorable person. This is really, really good character development. Now, the reason I bring this up is because the brackets were announced during this episode of Dynamite. And we'll be getting the following trios and matches occurring. It will be the best friends taking on the Trustbusters, which is Ari Daivari's sort of mini group from Ring of Honor crossing over into, into AEW, excuse me. They will then go on to face the winner of the House of Black trio, which we assume is going to be Malachi, Brody King, and... And Buddy Matthews. I nearly called him Buddy Murphy. That's why I paused. Sorry. Because House of Black will take on the Dark Order trio. 
Now, it wasn't expressly mentioned who the Dark Order trio is, but it definitely alluded to the fact that Preston Vance is going to be one of them, number 10. It more than insinuated that Evil Uno is going to be one of them. And then it's either Alex Reynolds or John Silver. I don't know which one. I'm fine with either personally, but it wouldn't surprise me if it ends up being John Silver. So we're going to have that as one side of the bracket. The other side of the bracket is the Young Bucks and whoever their partner is versus Andrade El Idolo, Roosh, and Dragon Lee. <laughs> this match is going to be utterly nuts. And that match is happening on Dynamite next week. This match is just going to be utterly, utterly bonkers. And it's great. The winner of that match will then go on to face the winner of Death Triangle, so Penta, Phoenix, Pack, and Will Ospreay and Aussie Open, the United Empire from New Japan. This tournament is great. Now, the finals are set to take place at All Out. It's not entirely clear, based on the bracket, if it's going to be a four-way trios match for the winner or one-on-one. I'm going to assume one-on-one quite frankly. But there is part of me that thinks, based on this, there are so many combinations of matches I badly want to see. I'm sort of... Hmm. Okay, in terms of just calling out a prediction off the top of my head, I can either see House of Black or Dark Order going to the final. I just think from a, there is there is logic to that in general. When you look at the other side of the bracket and you've got Death Triangle, United Empire, Andrade, Dragon Lee, and Roosh, and then you've got the Young Bucks and Partner, which we can get onto who the partner might be in a second, any one of those teams in the final will be amazing. Any one of them. I, I'm genuinely torn as to who I want to be. That I'd be fine with absolutely any of them. When it comes to the Young Bucks Partner, who should the Young Bucks partner be? There's a very obvious choice for who it could be. And I don't mean Brandon Cutler, because that's not going to happen. That said, if it did happen as a last resort, that'd be quite funny. But the obvious thing to think of is Kenny Omega. And we're going to find out on Dynamite next week. Is Kenny Omega going to be back? Or is there someone else that we're not thinking of who could be the partner? Logic would dictate to me it's going to be Kenny. I I badly want it to be Kenny Omega. I really do, but I'm trying not to get my hopes up on the off chance it's not going to be. But that would be amazing. Either way, the ma- the trios tournament match next week is going to be freaking nuts. If you've seen the Roosh v Dragon Lee match from the ROH pay-per-view Death Before Dishonor, those two one are brothers. They beat the piss out of each other, and it was flipping great. But also, Dragon Lee is an incredible wrestler if you've not seen much of him before. He's done a lot of stuff with New Japan, obviously done a lot of stuff in Mexico and whatnot, done a lot of stuff with ROH, another plane flying overhead for point of reference, pardon the noise in the background. Th- this this trio's match next week is going to be so good. And I've said it so many times before and so many times again. That plane's flying really close, isn't it? But I've said it so many times before and again, trio's matches are very rarely boring and more often than not are great. This tournament is going to be such good fun. I cannot wait. Also, for point of reference before I go off the subject, the Trustbusters specifically is Ari Daivari, Parker Bordreau, I believe it's pronounced, and Slim J, proper like 
OG ROH alum Slim J. So that is quite funny. That plane's really doing a lot of flying, isn't it? Hopefully it's not coming through too much on the mic. But uh, <laughs> apologies in advance once again, everybody. Elsewhere on the show, Dynamite specifically. Now, I mentioned when I was talking about the world title match, I wasn't too sure exactly when it started on the show. That's because the Fight TV feed, because I watched it on a delay this morning, and for whatever reason, the beginning of the show did not broadcast. So it actually started on the Fight TV archive that I saw as they were cutting to their first picture-in-picture break. Based on how long the the episode, quote-unquote, was as a whole, I'm guessing between six to eight minutes of the show weren't shown or wasn't on Fight TV. But it began with Darby Allen, the Brody King in a coffin match. And the first thing I see when the Fight TV feed begins is just Brody Lee throwing Darby Allen. His face is covered in so much blood. I do not know how, quite frankly, that Brody King was covered in that much blood. But after reading around online, from what I can tell, it's something to do with a skateboard with thumbtacks on it. That's probably all I need to say. You can kind of fill in the blanks. But this match, once again, was just mental between these two. There was so much they were doing. They've got really good chemistry, and Brody King is so damn good. Ultimately, what we got, there was a wonderful moment because the lights went out during the match. And then House of Black members, it was uh, it was Buddy, it was Malachi, were in the ring and then started just pounding on Derby. And of course, you're immediately thinking, well, where the heck is Sting? And Sting doesn't come out. And there was also a moment where, where Julia Hart, sorry, I forgot her name for a second, also got involved so that Derby couldn't make a comeback. And it gets to a point where Buddy is, is instructed by Malachi to like open the coffin up. And it hadn't occurred to me Ah, maybe that's where he might be because he opens the coffin up and up up pops Sting and just starts hitting people with a baseball bat. But one of the crucial things involving this from a storyline point of view, one, Darby got the win, but two, it got to a moment where Sting had taken out everyone barring Malachi with the bat. And eventually Malachi's just sitting in the corner, not doing much. And Sting just kind of throws the bat to him and effectively says, take your shot. And there's a moment and then Malachi effectively just goes, no, and then walks away. So we're still getting a bit of build up, more build up between House of Black and this Sting and Darby Allen thing. But obviously there's part of you that's thinking, what's it going to be? Is it going to be a tag match? Is it going to be a trios match? How does this work? Another potential clue was added to the dynamic for this because we got another backstage promo with Miro who's kind of saying what he says doing his usual thing as it were being really really cool then there's a point when he's speaking and he's still kind of under the cover of darkness and whatnot and he's talking about his temptations and whatnot trying to like not give in to the house of black and whatnot and then Julia Hart then walks up and effectively says, give in to the deep, effectively says, something to the effect of give in to the demon like I did, it'll give you power. At which point, Miro basically dismissed her and effectively Miro said something to the effect of, my path is to take down the House of Black and walk the other way. It was something along those lines. But what this says to me 
is that this means we may potentially be getting at some point in the near future the House of Black versus Sting, Darby Allen, and Miro. <laughs> How about that for a trio team? That's <laughs> wild. A couple of other notes from Dynamite before I move on to something else specifically. Uh, f- fun thing, uh, Dan Housen and Eric Redbeard are going to be teaming up on Rampage, and apparently their tag team name is Beardhausen, and they're taking on the Gun Club. So that's really, really fun. Another random note from the show, for I say a random note, there was the TBS Championship match between Jade Cargill and Madison Rain. So, Madison Rain. I appreciate that Madison Rain has got a lot of experience. I, th- I first saw her when she was in TNA and she was part of the Beautiful People. Worked really well in that trio. But there's something about Madison Rain. While I appreciate everything she's done and how competent she is in the ring and whatnot, there's just something about her that just doesn't click with me. And I just, I'm, I'm not into stuff that Madison Rain does. It's just the way it is. I, I'm very indifferent to her, is probably one way to put it. And I just don't really buy the fact that she came into AEW, something happened on an episode of AEW Dark, she then had a match on Rampage, which then got her a title match against Jade Cargill. It just seems really, really quickly and just out of left field when there's so many other people on the roster it could have been. But what this ultimately was leading up to uh, once the match had concluded, and Jade retained for the record, was Athena, the former Ember Moon, coming in, attacking Jade a little bit, and posing with the TBS belt. So we are definitely getting that match. That match. That was really weirdly sounded. Apologies. But we're definitely getting that match very, very soon. Speaking of the women's division, I hadn't heard this, but apparently earlier in the day yesterday, before Dynamite aired, it was announced that Chris Statlander is injured and is now not able to compete for the Women's World title, which sucks, quite frankly. I've not actually looked into this as to how bad the injury is, so I do not know where things stand on that. But that now means that the top contender for the Women's World title, per the ranking system, I'm led to believe, is Tony Storm. And Thunder Rosa is the champion. So, effectively, Tony Storm said that her ultimate goal is the AEW Women's World title, And Rosa accepted the circumstances and such. So, don't know how long Thunderstorm is going to last as a tag team, as it were, or a duo for that matter. But it will be interesting to see how things progress on this in the coming weeks. One assumes that may be a championship match saved for All Out. I mentioned Rampage a few seconds ago. Let's double back to that, because also what happened this weekend was actually a double show, if you will. We had Rampage that aired on Friday night. Well, she was live on Friday night, I should say. And then also we had Battle of the Belts. We had that special on Saturday. So I wanted to talk about both of those very briefly. And I say very briefly, more so from Rampage's perspective, because it was, by Rampage standards, a fairly skippable show. The main event world tag team title street fight, by comparison to John Moxley and Mance Warner, which was the opening match, set up because Mance Warner had won a battle royal on the Ric Flair pay-per-view, and this was a a match to to see if Mance Warner would get a shot at John Moxley for the title and such, an eliminator match, if you will. That match was really good fun. It was really fun, a lot of brawling and stuff. Moxley, of course, bled. And that match, by comparison, just being a regular singles match, was far more of a street fight in and of itself than the main event was. So, there you go. That's just the way that worked out. But we need to talk about Battle of the Belts 3 because this show was good fun. 
Wardlow beat Jay Lethal. It was a really fun opener. Just perfectly fine. That's the way I put it. Just a really fun opener. Good stuff going on. Those two actually work pretty well with each other. And as as happened on Dynamite, there is going to be another match between the two because effectively Jay Lethal called out Wardlow. Stuff happened with that. And FTR came to help out Wardlow. So potential another trio or old pinnacle uh, companions, if you will, reuniting there. So that will be continuing. We also had Thunder Rosa defeating Jamie Hayter for the, for the women's world title. I'm just going to be really direct and blunt with this, people. Go and watch this match. This match was so damn good. It's really, really great. And the whole, like, Jamie Hayter, Britt Baker dynamic, it's kind of rising up again at the moment. Like, people are really, really into it. Jamie Hayter is awesome. We've known that for a long time, but now they're finally kind of pushing her a bit more. And one would assume this is eventually going to lead to her and Britt actually splitting, and then Jamie able to go out on her own, of which I want to say now... I, I not only want, I need Jamie Hayter in the Blackpool Combat Club. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> she should be the first draft pick for the Blackpool Combat Club when it comes to the women's division. Really, really good match. Go out of your way to see it. Another really good match you should go out of your way to see is Claudio Castagnoli defending the ROH title against Konosuke Takeshita. This match was so damn Good. Holy crap. Takeshita's awesome. Claudio is awesome. Regal being on commentary as well added other elements to it. There were there were callbacks to previous battles against El Generico, formerly Sami Zayn's persona, as it were, in the indie scene. There was just lots of like little intricate details, whether you did or didn't know. Commentary were doing a great job of acknowledging little things. But just on the surface level, this was a damn good match. And Kanosuke Kanosuke Takeshita, sorry, I'm really excited because this match was so good. Takeshita is so damn good. If you haven't really gone out of your way to see one of his matches before, he had a great one against Hangman Page. He's had loads of other great matches recently. Go out of your way to watch this match with Claudio. It's so good. Obviously, Claudio is good as well. But Takeshita, man, there's just something about him where he is just connecting with the crowd everywhere he goes. It's just... It's a bit of a, of a corny phrase, but sometimes people just have it and it just works. Takeshita is one of those people. So damn good. Really, really worth going out of your way in fairness to watch Battle of the Belts 3. I know it's a show before which, I mean, heck, I think I even skipped Battle of the Belts 2 originally, but this is actually one that's really worth going out of your way to see. Some really great matches, three great matches, two really good matches by all accounts, as it were. So definitely worth going out of your way to see if you have not already checked out Battle of the Belts 3. And before I conclude today, just want to touch on a few news notes, just sort of in general more than anything, just so we've acknowledged it on the podcast and whatnot. First of all, now admittedly, I am, I'm not very familiar with, with this person, but Judo Jean LaBelle per the Wrestling Observer newsletter here, best known for his catch wrestling technique that later became an influence on both pro wrestling and mixed martial arts, has passed away at 89 years old. LaBelle started catch wrestling at the age of seven, training under Ed Strangler Lewis and later trained in judo. He was also trained by the likes of Carl Gotch and Lou Fez. In 1963, he accepted a challenge to fight boxer Milo Savage in an early mixed martial arts bout that saw LaBelle score the win with a rear naked choke. 
In pro wrestling, he was part of the NWA's Los Angeles territory, NWA Hollywood Wrestling, from 1968 through to 1982. He worked as a TV announcer and sometimes wrestled. The territory was owned by Mike LaBelle, Gene's brother. He also served as a referee for the Muhammad Ali-Antonio Inoki match that took place in 1976. He wrestled his final match, his final pro wrestling match, excuse me, in 1981 against Peter Maivia in NWA Hollywood Wrestling. In recent years, he had accompanied Ronda Rousey to the ring during mixed martial arts matches. He also judged MMA fights through 2018. So Gene LaBelle, suffice to say, very influential to a lot of wrestlers. And again, is someone I am, I am aware of the name more than anything. And even just reading that there, has already added a unique bit of insight I wasn't already aware of. So wanted to make sure that we acknowledged here the passing of judo Jean LaBelle. Other news that has occurred since uh, the last podcast I recorded, SmackDown's become an interesting place because we had the, the Ric Flair's last match pay-per-view, which I know I touched on that very briefly. I, I hadn't watched it and such. But another interesting thing has sort of come out following that, in a way. That being... In fact, you know what? I'll come back to that because I'm crossing wires here. So, first of all, Killer Cross was wrestling on the Ric Flair's last match pay-per-view. A few days later, he debuted on SmackDown. That's right, everybody. Karrion Cross, as he is known in WWE, is back and is going to be on SmackDown and apparently is being positioned as the number two heel behind Roman Reigns. He, he made his re-debut, if you will, while Roman Reigns was in the ring to close SmackDown, cutting a promo, and then came out and attacked Drew McIntyre, which then led to him basically being there with Scarlett as well, it should be said, and kind of doing the motion of TikTok and saying it towards Roman. So we've got another interesting thing here, and another person who, from the NXT era, of from Triple H's NXT era, I should say, was a very key and integral part of that. I'm I'm excited to see what Cross is going to do next. I think he will be another interesting dynamic to add to SmackDown, especially when it comes to top heels and whatnot. Because quite frankly, if Roman ain't going to be there the whole time, you're going to need someone else who can take the ball, if you will. And if Karrion Cross is someone who can fill that void for a bit, perfectly fine with that. Perfectly fine with that. Now, I mentioned Ric Flair. So... A lot of information has come out about the show. Jeff Jarrett's podcast, My World, had a whole episode with him and Conrad Thompson this week, basically going behind the scenes of the match and whatnot and kind of leading up to it and quite an in-depth discussion on it and such. And they gave some thoughts from their perspective, especially from some of the, uh, the internet scuttlebutt, I will say, that had been going around. Ric Flair also has his own podcast, which admittedly I have not listened to, so I'm taking the following notes from F4WOnline.com once again, The Wrestling Observer. Flair opened up about the match during an episode of his To Be A Man podcast. Ric Flair says that he passed out twice due to dehydration in his last match. He opened up about his experience on the pay-per-view during the most recent edition of his podcast, saying the following, quote, I don't think people realize that I passed out twice. What happened was my, my regimentation for training was so strict that I kept my weight on. I wanted to be perfect weight, like 220 pounds going in. So that last day and a half, aside from all the work we had planned for me to do, I didn't hydrate because I had it in my mind that I had to weigh 219 pounds. So anyway, I went to the ring at about 217 pounds. 
What happened during the body of the match? I just became dehydrated. While I was standing on the apron, I, I looked at Jay and started the whole wheel of motion. Sorry, I looked at Jay, which started the whole wheel of motion. I said, sorry, I said, man, I think I'm getting, I think I'm getting sick. I was getting lightheaded. Nothing to do with my heart, nothing to do with my intestines, just getting lightheaded. I'm sure it was a lot of nerves as well. Jay said, we've got to move this along. And that isn't what I meant to the point where, Ma where Manny, aka Andrade, came over and said, your turn, sir, your turn, sir, your turn, sir. So I got in, but I didn't know where we were in a match because I had missed about, clearly, like 10 seconds of it. Quote, he would continue to talk about a moment in the match where he just wanted to be, where he wanted to be superplexed from the turnbuckle. Flair said it was Jarrett's decision not to go through with the move. Quote, Jeff, out of respect for me, he lifted me atop the turnbuckle and Jay was going to give me a superplex, which would have blown the roof off the joint, but he was worried about my health. Jeff, sincerely, he said, we can't do that, Nate. We can't do it again. So anyway, rather than look awkward, I came down with him. Then Jay came in, gave me the suplex, and we were back rolling. Quote. Flair said that he passed out for a second time during the match after Jarrett went to hit him with a guitar. Jarrett would miss and hit lethal, but Flair says he passed out again shortly after the spot. Quote. Then along came the guitar. Right down, bingo. Don't know. While I was down, I passed out again. I just passed out. Manny, Andrade, is going, Sir, you have to wake up. I have the brass knuckles, sir. You have to wake up. So then I woke up. I knew I knew where we were, right, and boom, we're home. I swear to God, twice during the match, I went completely black. There is more that he said, but quite frankly, I don't want to read more of the quote because, again, look, I said this earlier. I'm not the most athletic person in the world. I do some yoga. I do. I go over like long hikes. I try and do some jogging here and there. I, I still do like dancing and whatnot. I, I can be active, but even I know you shouldn't get dehydrated. For me personally, when I get really dehydrated, I start having bouts of gout in my feet. That's what happens. And that's how I know I'm dehydrated. I just know the feeling. But for him to go in so he dehydrated, I get he wanted to be at a certain point, but man, just feel sorry for him. And it was freaking dangerous as well, quite frankly. But if there's one thing I will say to try and put a positive on this, well, to try and put two positives, one, he's alive still, but also quite frankly, he also knows that he was out twice. Because if he didn't know, and maybe just didn't remember so much, that might be an even worse sign. So, all going well. That's the last we're going to see of Ric Flair ever in the ring. That said, wouldn't at all surprise me if he randomly decided he wanted to do another match, thus making the whole Ric Flair's last match concept of an event completely null and void, therefore pointless. But there we go. And the final note for today. You know how Vince McMahon... It has now quote unquote retired slash resigned because there was a lot of that that money stuff that was happening. Turns out there's more money. This per the Wrestling Observer, WWE has uncovered more previously undisclosed payments made by Vince McMahon. In an SEC Securities and Exchange Commission filing on Tuesday, WWE revealed that two additional payments that McMahon agreed to uh, agreed to make, excuse me, in 2007 and 2009 have been uncovered. The two payments add up to five million dollars, bringing the total amount of uncovered settlement payments to 19.6 million dollars. It's like, oh, I'm laughing just because of how absurd it is, but I'm going to be honest, it doesn't surprise me. 
There's part of me that thinks there's probably may still be more things like this that have gone under the covers and have just not seen the light of day yet. So it doesn't change the fact it's still ludicrous. It's horrid. All the, all the correct words you can think of that I can't think of right now as I'm recording this. It doesn't change my thoughts and feelings on it. I'm glad he's gone, quite frankly. And I'm I'm glad this stuff is coming to light. It, I just am. But the fact that there's still a couple more that have been found doesn't surprise me. I, I Not trying to jinx myself here. It just wouldn't at all surprise me if we hear even more stuff like this. Like There might just be another random payment that gets uncovered or something. It wouldn't at all surprise me. But we will see in the long term how that goes. But I won't go into the full details of the quote that's been out there from an, from an, an official filing from the SEC, because it's, it's quite long, quite frankly. But that's the crux of it. Another $5 million, bringing the total of uncovered settlements up to $19.6 million. There you go. That's what I have to say about that. But with that being said, everybody, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Once again, if you want to find out more about Bunker Media, make sure you search for Bunkerzilla UK on Twitter. If you want to find the YouTube channel, search for Bunkerzilla UK on YouTube and give us a subscribe there. Or, of course, as this is a bonus audio episode, wherever you have found this, if you would like to hit the subscribe button on your platform of choice, we would really appreciate it. And be on the lookout again for more episodes very soon, be them bonus audio ones like this, or come September time, once Ian and I are back rolling with our fortnightly live streams on YouTube. No doubt there'll be something else I want to talk about and I may record another bonus episode. So I hope you've enjoyed this. Do leave us some feedback if you would like to do so. And from myself, Jeremy Graves, still at a very crisp and warm 32 degrees centigrade on Thursday 11th of August as I'm recording this. Thank you very much for listening and talk to you soon. Enjoy the show. Discover more Bunkazilla originals at bunkazilla.co.uk. Mm-hmm.